don't touch that. <laughs> and there's all kinds of cables and wires. It's hard to get my charismatic side on. If I'm going to trip and fall up here. Well, good morning. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Mark. Mark chapter 9. Um, first of all, I'd like to thank Allie. Okay. Allie, Toby, Kim, Joel, and Benjamin, right? Lord does answer prayer as it relates to memory. Um, I told Benjamin, I said, he needs to get up there and do a rip, do a little spinning of the, we'll get a spotlight on him, maybe some flashing symbols, some smoke, at a later service, not now. But if you could please take your Bibles to Mark chapter 9, Mark chapter 9, and I'll be reading verses 14 through 29. Verses 14 through 29. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the worship. Thank you, Father, that we are able to worship you in spirit and truth, not from our own strength, but because you imparted your Son to us by way of your Holy Spirit. And that's what brings us together, Lord, is your Son, who paid it all. And so, Father, I thank you for this body, for this family. I thank you for you, who makes it all possible. And so, Father, as we read your word, this morning, as it relates to our faith, I pray that upon hearing it and receiving the message from it, it will strengthen our hearts. And it is in your name we pray. Amen. Mark chapter 9, verses 14 through 29. And when they had came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation." How long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, it immediately convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And it has often casted him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd had come running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. 
And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered into the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? He said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. In life, we will experience periods, as depicted in this scripture, moments of weak faith. Those times that take us beyond what we feel we can endure to our limits. It may come by a way of an illness that threatens your life or news that that illness will eventually take your life. It may come by way of a loss of a job, wondering how will I now provide means for my family. It may come by way of a life decision where you fear making the wrong decision and the effects that it may have on your life. And it overwhelms you. It may come by a loss of a loved one where you're wondering, where do I go from here? How will I live? Regardless of the circumstances that we may face in our lives through trials and tribulations, They're never pleasant. They're very painful. But they are the facts of this life that we live in a world of sin and death and in our own flesh that we battle with every day. But they're also, at times, necessary for us to go through. And in those times when our faith is tested, it may reveal where our faith is weak and where it needs to be strengthened. The Father this morning, in this morning's scripture, is such a person at such a place where he cried out, I believe. Help me with my unbelief. Have you ever cried that? You believe? but you know that your belief is weak? It happens to us all. This morning, I would like to talk to you about faith. More specifically, how can we overcome those times in our lives where it seems that our faith is weak? Now, in our scriptures this morning, we not only see the weakness of the Father, but we also find the answers in dealing with with weak faith. The first one we see, and it's predominant throughout the scriptures that we read, that in order to overcome times of weak faith, we must stay focused on Jesus. We must stay focused on Jesus. You know, to say that we need to stay focused on Jesus is almost cliched, right? I remember my daughter in, in some of the Bible studies that we had, and I'll ask a question, and I'll say something about God. What is, what is God? And she'll go, love. That's her answer for every question that we had. And how does God do? Love. It's always her go-to answer for everything. And sometimes we do the same thing with Christ, right? Yeah, we need to stay focused on Jesus. But if you're like me, what does that mean to stay focused on Jesus? 
You know, we sing songs, keep your eyes upon Jesus. We have t-shirts that say various things that tell us to stay focused on Him. Or we wear bracelets that, that tell us of what He has done and how we are to exemplify Him. But what does it mean to stay focused on Jesus? You know, I grew up in a Catholic church. And in a Catholic home, we had pictures of Jesus all over. And so when I hear people say, we need to stay focused on Jesus, does that mean to stay focused on the picture of Jesus? On an image? No. I would propose to you to stay focused on Christ. Is to stay focused on the person of Christ through His revealed Word. Through His Word. And there are some theological reasons for this. First, our faith comes from Jesus. Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says, Paul writes this, So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Your version may say the word of God. I like how the ESV says it. It's the word of Christ. It's through Christ that we receive our faith. Our faith is in Jesus. And it comes by no other source. It doesn't derive from positive thinking where faith is relegated to nothing more than an intellectual reprogramming of negative thoughts. There's a prominent preacher out there that just printed up another book on positive thinking and he equates it to faith. I don't agree with that. That's humanism. In that if we can have positive thoughts, then we can change the course of our life. Yes, it's always true that we are to remain positive, but that positivity is based upon God's Word and not just a mental exercise. And although the Bible teaches us we are to renew our minds, it is to renew it in faith and lay new tracks of what God says in His Word so that it changes how we act. And how we live. Faith does not come from works. Faith doesn't come from religion. Works are a result of faith. Religion is an exercise of faith. It doesn't derive from it. It doesn't come from a ritual prayer where we say a few prayers and meditate upon that for hours. We pray because we have faith. It doesn't come from faith or Faith doesn't come from prayer. It strengthens our faith. It moves us into the presence of God, and I'll talk more about that in a few minutes. And we're not all born with the measure of faith. There are some people that believe because you're created in the image and likeness of Christ that you are born with the measure of faith. And then when the words of Christ come along, it ignites that measure of faith. Oh, that sounds so simple, and it solves so many theological problems. But it's not true. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the words of Christ. Faith is imparted to you by God in His Son, Jesus Christ. Faith only comes from God. And so when we focus on Christ, we are focused on the very provider of our faith. If we focus on our ability, we will fail. 
If we focus on a worldly system that's supposed to give us a safety net, it will fail. It has demonstrated it time and time again. If we focus on others, even though that we love them and they love us, we're fallible. Only Christ will give us the faith to remain strong. Only Christ. Secondly, when we focus on Jesus by way of his word, our faith will grow and mature. 2 Peter 1, 5 through 6, Peter writes this, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and with virtue, knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. I know I said that very fast, but I think you get the point. Peter, Peter wrote that. You remember Peter, the one of infant faith, the one that denied Christ. Peter, of all people, know that we are to grow in our faith, that our faith needs to mature. It doesn't just come to you as a dose for you to believe unto the Lord for salvation, and then it ends there. It needs to grow. It needs to mature. And everything that Peter just listed here, virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, and godliness, and godliness, brother affection, and brotherly affection, love, it all comes from God's Word. When I was first saved and I was reading scriptures such as 2 Peter chapter 1, it was God's Word that was telling me that I need to live a life of virtue, of moral excellence, that I need to grow in the knowledge and the wisdom of God, to be self-controlled. Why and how? What does it mean to be steadfast, to stand in your faith in the midst of trials and tribulation and persecution and temptation? And godliness that reflects the character of God in our lives and brotherly affection and love. Those all came from God's word. And as I read them and I trusted in them and I walked in them in the power of the Holy Spirit, my faith grew. My faith matured. And so when Paul says, faith coming by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ, not only do we receive our faith from Christ, but we can grow in our faith in Christ. Sorry, touch the mic. Finally, by focusing on Christ through his word, our faith is perfected. It's perfected. Hebrews 12, 2 says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Jesus is the author of our faith, and he desires to perfect it. As the Vulgate would say, it, it means to consummate our faith in that he desires to bring our faith into its full maturity and perfection. Jesus is not, like I said, just simply satisfied with the measure of faith that you receive for salvation. He wants to advance it and perfect it and refine it so that it be his goal. And how does he perfect our faith? James chapter 1, verse 1 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you face fiery trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Also in 1 Peter, this one came to me this morning, and I apologize for turning my word here. In 1 Peter chapter... Oh, hold on. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 
It says, in that this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the testing genuous of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor of the revelation of Jesus Christ. Our faith must be tested in order to be perfected. We will go through those trials in our life. And it will test our faith. And it will reveal areas of weakness in our faith that we need to be strengthened in. Our faith is strengthened when we focus on the person of Jesus Christ, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. And it can grow, and it can mature, and it will be perfected, and it will be refined giving us strength. You know, the father of that child sought out Jesus. And then he settled on the disciples who were powerless to assist. But when he seen Jesus, and Jesus revealed his weak faith, the man recognized who he was and the true source of his faith. And he cried out, For that weak faith to be strengthened. He focused on the person of Jesus. And Jesus answered his call. In order, secondly, in order to overcome the weakness of our faith, the scriptures that we read this morning say that we must believe. We must believe. Believe. Believe is a consistent theme throughout Scripture. Jesus is now faced with the Father's weak statement of faith. When the Father says, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us. This statement reveals the weakness of the man's faith. Having seen the disciples fail, he now questions Jesus' ability to heal his son. Even though he sought out Jesus. Jesus is only our Savior can, by knowing the hearts of men, which is you and me, through one statement, if you can, reveals the issue with the Father. His statement, if you can, wasn't a question back to the Father. The the statement, if you can, was not a condescending statement from Jesus, if you can. It wasn't one that was defensive as if the man was thinking that Jesus couldn't do what he was asking him to do. No, that that, that statement that Jesus used pointed out and realigned as to who the if and the you belonged to. And it was to the Father. It was to the Father's weak faith that he pointed out in that statement. Then Jesus told not only the Father, but his disciples who failed, and said this, that all things are possible for those who believe. All things are possible for those who believe. This convicting statement revealed to the Father that it was not the disciples that disappointed him. It was his faith that disappointed him. But when he understood that, 
as only Jesus can reveal the heart of man. And when Jesus said that to that man, it struck deep conviction in that man for him to cry out and say, Lord, you're right. I do believe, but my belief is weak. Help me with my unbelief. Belief is an essential part to faith. Faith without believing is no faith at all. Believing brings faith to life in the believer and paves the way for trust. All throughout Jesus' ministry, he encouraged people to believe in him and what he says and what he does. His questions, do you believe, is always a question aligned with faith. And the question of faith comes from only one place within a believer, and that is in the heart of the believer. In fact, it is essential unto our salvation, for Romans chapter 10, verse 10 says, For with the heart one believes. We don't come to salvation by an exercise of the intellect and reasoning, although there are parts. Our salvation comes, they're elements, not parts, they're elements. Our salvation comes from believing in our heart. The heart is the residence of our faith. And the seed of our emotions and desires and life comes from our heart as a believer. In order to believe beyond intellect, it must come from the heart. Additionally, we must understand that believing in faith is made up of three critical elements. Knowledge, trust, and remembering. Knowledge is a baseline of believing. One cannot believe unless they have the knowledge to believe, and this is true with God's Word. For 1 Timothy 2.3 says, God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. I'm not one who believes in blind faith. As if it to say that without any knowledge or any evidence, I just simply believe. Faith is based on knowledge, and it is based on evidence. Jesus, Jesus in telling the disciples of John, if you remember, John is in prison, and the disciples of John sent it to Jesus saying, are you the one that we are to look for? Now remember John the Baptist's life. He baptized Jesus. He's seen everything that Jesus did. And yet now he's in prison questioning who Jesus really is. And what did Jesus say to those people that came and asked on behalf of John? He said, go and report to John what you have seen. Report the healings. Report the miracles. Report my teachings. What about Thomas? Doubting Thomas. Upon seeing Jesus, doubted. And Jesus said to him, put your finger here and see my hands. Because you could see the holes in his hands. And put your hand and place it in my side. But then Jesus says this to Thomas and to us as well. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Now, I understand that God's word said, blessed are those who do not see and yet believe. But that is not blind faith. As it is too 
as that faith is too based on the evidence of Christ by way of testimonies, by way of witnessing, and by way of his word. You know, when God miraculously imparted faith in me, and I believed upon Jesus, it was based upon the faith that God gave me and the evidence that was given to me by the person who led me to Christ. And so we need to have knowledge in order to believe. But that knowledge is not worldly knowledge. It's not earthly knowledge. It is knowledge of Jesus Christ. Because we are to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But along with knowledge, we must have trust. Trust means that we place our confidence and reliance on another based upon what they have shown or demonstrated to be trustworthy. If faith is believing in action, trust is what moves our faith. Trusting in the midst of trial is difficult because it means we must relinquish control to a sovereign God. And in order to do so, relies upon the promises of God and the assurances they provide. It's human nature not to trust. And at times we wrestle with trusting in God And that is why God's word says, trust in the Lord with all thy heart. Again, there's the heart. Lean not under your own understanding, i.e. the knowledge of God only. But in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Stay focused on the person of Jesus. Without trusting the Lord, we will never walk in faith. You may have a religious experience, but you'll never truly walk in faith. We will know. We may even believe. But if we do not walk in it by trusting in Him, it'll be inactive. It won't be effective. Trust is of our will. It is our part in this equation of faith and believing. And it is based upon the faith we have received, the heart from which we would believe, and the knowledge that we have received. And so we must walk in it. Brothers and sisters, I'm not standing up here giving you a story of victory in my own life as it relates to trust. It's hard. But if we stay focused on Jesus and we grow in the knowledge and the wisdom of who He is, and we rely upon the promises that are all throughout His Word, you can take that step. You can take that step out of that boat. And you can walk across that water. And you can meet Jesus. He'll carry you through all of it. But believing also requires remembering what God has done. Despite the fact that we have the Holy Spirit and He resides in us in power to convict us of sin and to remind us of the things of Jesus and to teach us the things of Jesus, there will be times in our lives where we will utter the phrase that you find in the Bible, lest we forget. Lest we forget. Trials, suffering, and unrepentant sin, even lethargic faith, have an effective way of causing us to forget what God has done 
through Jesus Christ. This is where doubt creeps in and then faith is weakened. You know, in a recent sermon that I read, the preacher highlights the life of David as told in 1 Samuel, which we're covering in our Sunday school class next door, uh, Sunday morning. Where in 1 Samuel 16, David is anointed king over Israel by the hands of Samuel. Now think of that. That must be a pretty dramatic event, wouldn't it? Not only was David surprised that he would be anointed as king, but here's Samuel, the last judge, who's anointing me. That's a pretty big event. It wasn't something in passing. Hey, David, you're going to be king. All right, thanks. It was a big deal. Should have been remembered. But yet in chapter 27 of 1 Samuel, the first verse, if I recall correctly, he says, now shall I perish one day by the hand of Saul. You see, Saul had been pursuing him, chasing him, wanting to kill him. And David utters, now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul, lest we forget. David, in the midst of a significant and lengthy trial of Saul wanting to kill him, is now doubting who God is and what God has said. David forgot what Samuel said during his anointing. He forgot how Jonathan affirmed it, how Abigail prophesied to it, and Saul himself acknowledged in his presence that he would be king. David forgot how God delivered him time and time again, and even Saul, even delivered Saul into his hand. David forgot the covenant that God made with David. And he's now weak, and he's now doubting God. David is so consumed by his trial, so consumed by his circumstances, he's forgotten. We're no different than David. We can forget what God has done for us in the midst of a trial where our faith is being weakened. We forget how God has provided, how God has moved, how God has blessed, and how God had delivered us prior. And when we do that, we will begin to doubt what God can do. We begin to doubt whether God is active in our situation, whether He cares, whether He's hearing our prayers. Let me ask you something. When has God ever disappointed you? When has God never come through for you? When has God completely abandoned you? I think I can answer that question for all of you. The answer is never. He's never done it. It's against his character. It's against the promises. It's against his truth. It's against the love that he has for you. Brothers and sisters, lest we forget is a constant theme in God's word. The Hebrews forgot and clamored to return to Egypt under Moses. They forgot their God after they went into the promised land. They turned away from God throughout judges who continuously tried to bring them back. He failed, they failed to be obedient under the kings and failed to listen at the hands of the prophets and were taken into bondage. 
the disciples forgot about the miracle of the five loaves and two fish that fed thousands. So when Jesus said, hey, we got more thousands, feed them. And they said, with what? They forgot. We forget too. When we find ourselves at a time in our life when our faith is weak, may I recommend to you to read the promises of God and to remember how he's blessed you and and maybe even cry out as Psalms 143 says, I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the work of your hands. I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. Lift up your voice with verses like that, and you will be strengthened in moments of weak faith. And so what is believing then? Believing is when faith and knowledge of that which is true is impelled in the heart of the believer, birthing forth conviction and trust based upon that which God has already demonstrated to be true. That's belief. The third way that we overcome a weak faith is we must pray. We must pray. Ian Bounds, who wrote the book of prayer, was a man of prayer, said this, when faith ceases to pray, it ceases to live. One cannot possess a strong faith if their prayer life is minimal or cursory. If our faith is weak, all we need to do to diagnose the problem is look at our prayer life. Prayer is the first and most important work. You've heard me say that time and time again because it's true. It's more than just asking the Lord for things. It is an intimate connection with Him. And the faith that we have in Christ is exercised through prayer and needs to be evidenced by it. The reason we are to pray is it keeps us in His presence. It keeps us in His presence. When we pray, we are focused on Him and not on the things of the world, not on our trial, not on our circumstances, not on the things that we're facing. We are focused on Him. It keeps us heavenly minded and not earthly focused. You do that and you will sink under the waves and the tempest that you're in. When Paul and Silas were in the inner prison, you remember this story? When Paul and Silas were in the inner prison, not the outer prison, but the inner prison. That means there was no walls, it was dark, it was moldy, it was musty, it was wet, and they were chained. And then they went on to say that they were griping and complaining and woe is me. No, that's not what the Word of God says. They were praying. They were singing hymns of glory to the Lord. And while they were praying and singing hymns of glory, an earthquake occurred, which released the doors of the prison and also unbound them from their chains. And so what did Paul and Silas do? They ran. No. They stood fast 
They ministered to the very jailer that jailed them. And the jailer and his family came to Christ. You see, Paul and Silas were so focused on Jesus through prayer that their circumstances didn't matter. It only paved the way for an opportunity to share Christ. That's what prayer does. Prayer is faith's voice lifted up to God our Father in Christ Jesus, and it is essential in overcoming weak faith. Two of the greatest examples of this is when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And we find this in Luke. I will turn there to save time. In, cha- in Luke chapter 22, we see Jesus in the garden. And, 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 and God's word says about this. And when he came out, he went and was accustomed to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. He's telling the disciples to pray. Not sit here and wait. I'll be right back. He said to pray. Why? So that they would not enter into temptation. So that they would remain strong. And he withdrew from them and about a stone's throw away and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven who strengthened him. Jesus demonstrates that when we pray, we are strengthened. When we pray, the Lord God will strengthen you. Now understand, Jesus' faith was not weak here. Jesus' faith was perfect. But his humanity and the strength of his humanity was failing. But we may face times of weak faith where we don't trust in the Lord. And what does Jesus say we are to do? To pray. He commanded his disciples to do it, and he exemplified it himself. Another example is found in the same chapter in 22. And this deals with Peter's denial where Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have returned again, strengthen your brothers. Jesus knew Peter's infant faith would be tested beyond his strength. And Jesus said to Peter that he has prayed to sustain him during those periods of weak faith. Now, you know how the story goes. Peter denies Christ. And if you read the emotion in Peter's life, it consumed him. The grief of betraying his Lord. But when Jesus showed up on the beach, Peter was the first one out of the boat, and he ran to the feet of Jesus. Because he knew it was Jesus. He knew that Jesus was the source of his strength. In both examples, it shows the critical importance of where prayer is and how prayer can help us strengthen our weakened faith in times that it finds itself. In fact, did you know that Jesus, who is the intercessor, who is seating on your behalf daily, 
Did you know that he prayed for you and me in John chapter 17? Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Jesus said the same prayer for you, so that your faith may not fail. And although our faith may be weakened, and we may find ourselves in desperate times, it won't fail. Because what has been given to you is pure, it's precious, it's truth, it's real. It is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things yet seen. So if you find yourself in a desperate situation where your faith is weak, cry out to God. Cry out and say, I believe. Help me with my unbelief. I I, I told you guys the story. In fact, I did a, a sermon on it where this last fall I went through a tremendous period where the Lord showed me a weak part of my faith. And one of the scriptures that God gave me to give me strength that I prayed, he would wake me up, still does, at 3 o'clock in the morning, every morning. It's almost like clockwork. I look at the clock at 2.45. Well, i got to meet the Lord at 3. He's going to wake me up. And I'm, I'm talking wide awake. And the verse that I kept praying over and over and over and over and over again to give me strength, comes from Isaiah 41.10. I preached on it before. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That prayer, God's love strengthened my faith. And he would do the same for you. I don't know if you've ever faced moments of weak faith. I would assume you have. Maybe you're facing them today. Maybe you're like the father who cried out, I believe, help me with my unbelief. And if so, focus on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. Believe upon Him through the already known true knowledge of who He is. Remember what He's done for you and then trust Him and pray. Pray to the only one who can sustain you. Pray to the only one who can strengthen you. Pray to the only one who understands exactly what you're going through. And when you do, He will strengthen you. He will keep you. You will be steadfast. And He will carry you through whatever you're going through. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank You for this message. I thank You for who You are and what You do, what You've already done. Father, I ask Your blessing to be upon what we've heard. We may face moments of weak faith, Lord. But, Father, we trust in you and you alone. And so, Father, we give you thanks and praise for the truth of your word. 
We thank you that you gave us faith to believe upon you and the conviction to do so by way of your Holy Spirit. Father, I just ask your blessing to be upon this church at this time, upon your people. In Jesus' name, amen.